walk me through a day from morning job, mm -hmm. lunch mm -hmm. with friends, maybe a spouse, mm -hmm. and what kind of uh, behaviors they participate mm -hmm. in and what kind of interactions they have, just general. Well, I would think that it's, if I'm, if I'm gonna lay probability on this, the mm -hmm. odds that they're in an intimate relationship is pretty low. Okay. Okay, so they're probably waking up alone mm -hmm. or maybe in a situation where there's a roommate or something like mm -hmm. that. Their bedroom may be locked, their door, their windows may be tightly sealed and covered over with darkness so nobody could peer in. Their electronics may have layer after layer after layer of protection on them because they're convinced somebody is going to, you know, break in and get their information that they're, you know, and there's a lot of information on our phones, mm -hmm. not a bad idea, but almost to a fault. They may read the headlines and get angry and say, ah, I knew it. See, this is an example of this one going after that one or that one going after this one. And this is going to, and they may even be trying to go after me or this new tax law is, is going to hurt me. And those darn people, they're out to take my money. No, but they don't realize that the tax law affects everybody. No, they don't care. See, that's, it's, 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 it's out to get them. me. It's all about okay. me. It's get okay. out to get me, okay. you know? And so they'll, they'll, and so the reading the newspaper in the morning is probably enough to rattle their cage to, that would, you know, for the whole day. Then if they do need to go to a job, it's very much probably not a warm coming into the office if they go to a workplace or to a shop or something like that. If they work at home alone, it's very likely they're reading every email for some sense of threat. If they see it, they may spend their whole day going back and forth on an email with somebody because they feel threatened and and put upon and minimized and they'll keep trying to defend themselves and they might say, oh, I'm going to HR. Very inefficient. It's a very inefficient day because their entire day is spent trying to push back on threats. And then what, what happens when someone approaches them non-threatening, very complimentary, very nice? If they just go, what do you hey, want? hey, Diane. What do you want? What, what do you want? Why are you here? What oh. are you doing here right now? You, you weren't supposed to be. How did you know I was here? So it's, it's very hostile and clipped right from the jump. So it makes the other person is already on the defensive even if they don't mm -hmm. want to be. Mm -hmm. How do you win at that? Yeah, I don't think you can. It's very difficult. It's a very difficult personality style. And do they, they tend to get very isolated, Kyle. So there's not going to be a, a lot of other people. And this idea they're going to have lunch with a friend, I ain't betting not on happening. it. No. Do they recognize that they have a different outlook on life compared to everybody else? Mm, they really don't have. It's a very low insight pattern. Okay. So because it's, it's although there's no true empirical justification for what they're feeling, they feel it's justified. Right. And so they feel their whole lives they've been a victim. Right. Their whole lives people have been out to get them. So of course nobody could understand them because everybody's out to get yeah. them. And so it's out of their control. Of, yeah, so they feel very much, they feel very isolated from everything and everyone because nobody gets them. Yeah. You know, no one ever could. Thanks for watching your next episode. Wow, that is none other than Dr. Romani describing some of the subtleties of the avoidant personality. And the reason why I played that video is because, first off, Dr. Romani is outstanding. Her work is outstanding. It is amazing. But it fits right into our topic tonight. Your humanity scares me. What do you mean, so? A deeper look at Paranoia and insecurity. Does authenticity provoke paranoia and shame in a deeply insecure partner?
Does your truth make them feel shamed or guilty or insecure or paranoid? When you start to glow up, when you start to expand spiritually, do they get defensive? Do they see it as a threat? You saw Dr. Romney breaking down that they spend most of their time looking for threats. Now, Dr. David R. Hawkins worded the threat differently. He called them slight collectors. Listen, I'm here to tell you something. Any problem in your life can be changed if you shift your perspective. Any problem in your relationship, right, can be changed, can be, I don't want to use the word fixed, I can say adjusted, If you change your perspective, typically trauma has a foothold in the past. And if you can get away from the past in terms of the negative thoughts, in terms of the perceived threats, you probably could have a pretty good relationship, probably with anybody. So tonight's topic. Right. I guess the whole point would be combating you know, this issue, the fear of your partner's humanity, i.e. authenticity. How would a couple overcome this particular issue? One partner is starting to flower and grow and strong in themselves. And this may make the other partner feel, you know, attacked. Very interesting stuff. This topic was given to us by our own... Atala Phillips out of Houston, Texas. This is her topic. I found it to be quite intriguing. How does our own paranoia and insecurity prohibit our ability to accept the authenticity presented to us in our significant other? Right. How does our own insecurity? People always talking about they, they don't like liars, but they lie to themselves. They lie to stay in a relationship. They lie to get comfortable so they can tell the truth. Uh Uh-oh. Stop it. Stop it, Zoe. No, we good. Everything is good. We good. Everything is fine. But it's not fine. Everything is not fine. Everything hasn't been fine for a long time. But those words can come out your mouth. We good. Everything is good. We going to make it. We going to do the work. We all right. But we're really not all right. Right. Let me read it again. True or false? Oh, no, no. How does our own paranoia and insecurity prohibit our ability to accept. Right. The authenticity presented to us in a significant in our significant others. True or false? Being your true authentic self has nothing to do with how your partner feels about you. How does authenticity affect relationships? In what way? Uh, Does our inherent human imperfections and limitations hinder our ability to trust others genuinely? How does... (laughs) We're all flawed, right? In what ways do our inherent human imperfections And limitations hinder our ability to trust others to genuinely portray themselves 
without any pretense or deception is the question. Right? Who makes you feel like you need to hide? Ugh. Is there somebody in your life that makes you feel like you need to hide the truth of who you are? Do individuals tend to only accept and embrace the aspect of their partner that brings them pleasure while disregarding or rejecting the parts that may be less enjoyable or challenging? It's easy to stay with the good twin. But do you love the bad twin? Do you appreciate the bad twin the same way you appreciate the good twin? Mark Sarton says it this way. We have to dare to be ourselves, however frightening or strange that self may prove to be. I'm here to tell you tonight. I'm sorry. I'm going to take the gloves off. No more questions. I'm going to take the gloves off. People date half of you. The half that makes them feel good. People are not trying to date your vulnerability, your insecurity, your fear, your, 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 your misunderstanding. People only want the part of you that makes them feel good. And most people are not even tolerating the part that makes them feel bad. Right? Roy T. Bennett, the light in the heart, he puts it this way. Right. We are all different. Don't judge. Understand instead. What I find is that we got a lot of people that can quote folk. We got a lot of people that have opinions. But when the rubber meets the road. And the ugliness in me needs to be empathized with by you. You're not there. You're not there. You're only there when you can get what you want. So does this is what I mean by authenticity. The true me is also the ugly side of me. Right? Your humanity scares me. Go deeper, though. The human aspect in all of us makes us flawed. It makes us imperfect. It actually... You've heard me say this a couple of shows ago. It makes us dangerous. Why? Because the human side is judgmental. The human side is critical. The human side is flawed. It will make mistakes. And don't you know the mistakes that your human side makes affects the whole you, even the good part of you? How many of you guys want to be in a relationship with somebody who's in relationship with all of you? Not just the part that makes them feel good. Not just the part that makes the cuddling cool. The great Carl Gustav Jung put it this way. The privilege of a lifetime is to become who you truly are. So many people are ugly to me. Because they use other people to get comfortable. Right? Comfortable in what ways, though? Comfortable in the knowing that, you know what, as long as this feels good, as long as this stays comfortable, I'd never have to confront the part of me that I don't accept. And again, if you're not accepting the whole you, 
There's no way you can accept the authenticity presented to you by someone else. 1-800-920-1580. I want to hear from y'all tonight. We about to get cooking when I come forward. More questions, more thought-provoking answers, and callers. The reasons that we're here, the reasons that we fear, our feelings won't disappear. Disappear. You're listening to the Voice of Reason with Zoe Williams on KBLA Talk 1580. Hi everyone, it's Dr. Romney. Welcome back to this YouTube channel on narcissism and narcissistic relationships, healing from these relationships, and just understanding the labyrinth that they are. So what happened the last time you were really nice to a narcissistic person? I'm sure for some of you it went well. But for some of you, did the narcissist get angry? So let's talk about that. Some of you may be thinking, you know what I'm going to do with this narcissistic person? I'm just going to kill him with kindness. I am not going to let this antagonistic person get me down. I am just going to be super nice and I'm not going to let them shut down this kindness that is a part of me. I'm a nice person. So you are with the narcissist and you remain cheerful and warm, kind, smiling, no matter how they may snipe at you, grump at you, sneer at you, and have overall contempt for your kindness and warmth. Some of you may have just an inherent nature that is simply kind. So you are kind to people. It's what you do. Unfortunately, it was something that really put you in harm's way in a narcissistic relationship. Now, what gets interesting is that narcissistic people can be quite suspicious of kindness. They may view it as sucker behavior. But what I have been told by a few people in narcissistic relationships is that the narcissistic person would angrily ask them if they were being sarcastic. Let me say a little bit more about that. So you're being nice. Okay, just being nice to them. Hey, how are you? And they turn to you and they're like, what do you want? And they think you're being sarcastic. I know I repeat myself, but I believe as a teacher, repetition gets the point home. They don't really care about who you are, right? You're just there in their service. Now, you may then think, okay, if that's the case, then why wouldn't they want me to be nice? It feels better for me if I'm, I am nice, even though sometimes I'm sad in this relationship. But when I am nice, the narcissistic person tells me that I'm being sarcastic or they're suspicious of me. And I'm genuinely not being sarcastic. It's not performative. I'm nice. It's very difficult for a narcissistic person to identify with or understand a behavioral, emotional, or even a cognitive space that they don't occupy, that they don't know. And needless to say, nice is not a place that they understand or know. However, they know what they do know, and they do understand manipulation. They understand trying to get something over on someone for them. Someone being nice may represent a play, a seduction, a love bomb, closing a sale, getting something from someone. So is it any wonder they would push back? The inauthentic person is about getting what they want, right? They're not about serving you unless it serves them. The narcissistic person, the inauthentic person, right? 
I got to wait until the moment is right, until I'm comfortable, until I feel good enough about telling you how I really feel. Can we be honest? What does authenticity look like in a real relationship? When you start to grow up spiritually, right? When you start to expand your consciousness, you start to see the little games that people play coming from a mile away. I'm sorry. You see it a mile away like, oh, eventually you're going to do this. No, no, I'm not going to. I'm not even thinking that way. Then the reverse psychology, uh, the, the, you know, you're. You're, you're just speaking a self-fulfilling prophecy. You're, you're speaking it into existence. No, I'm not. I see your behavior. It's not in alignment with your words. So your words say one thing. Your behavior shows something totally different. Your energy says something. None of you, no parts of you are aligned. But I'm supposed to just Sit back and be quiet and let it play out. Are y'all listening? Do y'all hear what? Listen, when you tell the truth and in this modern culture, if you tell the truth. If you show up authentic and you start calling people on a mess. They label you toxic. You toxic. Why? Because. I'm pointing out that you are misaligned in what you say, feel, and present. Hmm? 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 I'm just asking. I'm just asking. A lot of people play, the, 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 I call them reindeer games. A lot of people play reindeer games in relationship. How does a partner's level of authenticity impact the dynamics and overall health of the relationship. See, let me give you something else. You can tell your partner something. Like, I'm going through something. I'm going through a process. And it's breaking me down. I need a little bit of time. I need a little bit of space to work through it. Right? I'm opening up. I'm sharing to the best of my ability. Do you know why a lot of people don't open up and share? Because later on, what they shared will be used to wash their face. They're going to put what you said on a wash rag and use it as soap and wash your face. in it. They're going to bring it up again and again and again and again. And the more details you give them, the more soap they have to use. Right? See, you got some people out here who are saying, oh, well, if, if an infraction has happened in a relationship, you need to be transparent about what happened. Well, you can only be that way with someone who needs the information to heal the relationship. They don't need the information to go on with the rest of their life. They can go on with their suspicion. Right? No, they, they, they will pretend. Listen, in order for us to get back on the right track, I need you to disclose everything. So you disclose 
bits and pieces. You disclose from your memory. You disclose what you feel is, you know, vulnerable enough for you, right? You're disclosing, you're sharing, and what are they doing? Writing in their journal, talking to their friends. Because what they're doing is building up enough courage to say, I'm out anyway. Because most people do not date the human in you. They date their model of you. And as long as the model of you and you perform in alignment, they're good. But the moment the humanity in you shows up and you're flawed, you're broken, uh, you're fearful, you're dishonest. I don't know. I can't be with you. Wow, heavy stuff. When we come forward, I'm going to the phone lines. How real are you? He's on fire tonight. tonight. It's the voice of reason with Zoe Williams exclusively on KBLA Talk 1580. Your relationships have always been painful. There's a simple explanation. There are four attachment styles or emotional blueprints in love. And if you have three of the four, your relationships may be doomed. Here's what to do about it. In this video, I'm gonna show you the only three things that you need to know to determine your success in love. My name is Brianna McWilliam, and I'd always struggled in relationships. I was a high achiever in work, but it did not help me in my love life. I thought that's just how it was. You couldn't have a great work life and a great love life. Then both my parents and my brother were diagnosed with chronic illnesses, and I fell into a tailspin. Right at that moment, when all hope had faded, I met an amazing guy. He let me expose all of the raw parts of myself. And I finally felt like something was going my way. But after a while, he stopped prioritizing me. And I'll tell you, that hurt like hell. And I was desperate to fix it. Then I found out that he wasn't able to be sexually faithful. And after we broke up, I miscarried without even realizing that I had been pregnant. My soul was split <laughs> wide open. I knew I couldn't keep living like that. So I started reading and researching everything I could get my hands on about relationships. I wanted to know what I had done wrong so that I would never have to experience that again. What I discovered is that it wasn't actually all my fault. And that sent me on this incredible journey to find the truth about relationships. I learned that all human beings exhibit at least one of four attachment styles and that these attachment styles determine your success in relationships. Now I help other people struggling the way that I did discover what's really going on, break free of it, and attract those soul-shaking passionate partnerships that they want without having to talk in circles around their feelings for hours or even years on end with no tangible result. And today I am delighted to share with you the three most sneaky and detrimental ways that the three insecure attachment styles may be affecting your relationships. Way number one, attachment styles color your beliefs about the possibilities for love in your life. For example, here are some belief statements from three distinctly insecure attachment styles. I can't be happy unless I'm in a relationship. Relationships let me know my value. Now these tend to be anxious individuals whom I refer to as open hearts. They want a lot of closeness in love. Here's another one. Relationships come at the cost of personal freedom. I don't want to be smothered by my partner's neediness. These tend to be avoidant individuals whom I refer to as rolling stones. They usually put a lot of emotional distance between themselves and their partners. And lastly, I want love and connection, but I'm also really afraid of it. It's hard to believe that anybody could love me for me. These folks are considered disorganized or fearful avoidant, 
what I call spice of lifers. They easily win your heart while at the same time sabotaging their relationships to avoid getting hurt. Way number two, attachment styles make it easy to predict how relationships repeatedly fail and why. When you have someone that likes to be close paired with someone that appreciates personal freedom, it's not hard to predict how that's going to go. What's hard is learning how to communicate with such a partner so that the relationship not only survives, but also thrives. And it is possible. So when this mess shows up in your life, it was an accident. It, it, you, you know, I just tripped up on a mess and now the mess in my life and I love them. No, the mess came with a message to the mess in you. See, <laughs> I know y'all don't want to hear it. I know you don't want to hear it because when our messes are twin flames, when our messes are soulmates, oh, this is one of the most exciting, one of the most titillating, one of the most uh, scintillating relationships I've ever been in. It's not boring at all. There's always something going. Yes, drama. Right? But when people start to glow up out of their burnt wounds, their burnt up wounds, their, you know, the pain that they've been through, when they start to grow up out of that, <laughs> oh, you getting authentic? Oof. You becoming something else? My wound was here for your mess. Oh, so you acting funny now. Yes, yes, our humanity can scare our significant other sometimes. Our humanity encompasses a range of emotions, vulnerabilities, and imperfections that can be intimidating or unsettling to our partners. Again, these may include intense emotions, our capacity to experience intense emotions such as anger, sadness, or fear can be overwhelming for our partners. If we struggle to regulate or express these emotions in a healthy manner, it can create a sense of unease or fear in our significant other. Stop there. You don't want to talk about it? You want to talk in circles. You want to say, just chill. Everything going to be okay. Just relax. Don't trip. Hold on. Just just flow with it. See, again, we live in a culture that got a lot of catchphrases. Go with the flow. No, 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 no. Not if the flow is this right here. If we struggle to regulate or express, that's the second one, regulate and express. In other words, regulate is inside self-regulation. You're, you're, you're self-regulating so we can co-regulate the emotions of the relationship, right? You Manage yours, I manage mine, and then we're at the same time we're expressing, like truly expressing. Mm. Mm. In a healthy manner, it can create a sense of unease or fear in our partner. Then you have vulnerability. Sharing our vulnerabilities and insecurities require a level of openness and trust. However, if our significant other is not accustomed to or comfortable with vulnerability, witnessing our raw and unexposed selves or raw and exposed selves can be intimidating and scary for them a lot of people are scared when the truth of you shows up nobody is dating humanity everybody's dating a concept everybody's dating an expectation everybody's dating a benchmark
Nobody is dating the truth of who you really are. When the authenticity of your humanity shows up, that's when your relationship starts to get flaky. Right? Oh, what about flaws and mistakes? That's human too. Your flaws and your mistakes. Nobody wants to date your flaws and your mistakes. Nobody cares about where you've fallen. I'm only dating the result of the fall. And typically for most people, the result of the fall for people who are learning from their failures, you tend to ascend after you've fallen. I'm only dating the the outcome of your falls. I'm not here to nurse you. I'm not here to nurture you. Mm -mm. Uh-uh. Nobody is perfect, and our flaws and mistakes are an inherent part of being human. However, if our significant other has high expectations or fear of failure or uh, of our, imp- or our imperfections may trigger their own anxieties and fear. They might worry about the consequences of our mistakes or fear that our flaws will negatively impact the relationship. You cheated on them. What make, what, 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 how do I know you won't cheat on me? Hmm? You lied to them. How do I know you won't lie to me? They start projecting. Oh, Lord. I know I'm, I'm teaching tonight. And the phone calls are crazy. I promise. I swear before Jesus and all the pictures of them white people in heaven, I will get to these callers when we come forward. Is it good to you? Good to you. More Voice of Reason with Zoe Williams when we come forward. Ladies and gentlemen, the Voice of Reason returns. Man, that track is such a vibe. My playlist has been my co-host since I've been here on KBLA going. We're well over a year now. But you always know I like to pull different tracks, uh, you know, to the forefront so it can accent uh, my topic tonight. Most of them are instrumentals because it's a vibe here. It's a heavy show. Uh, The first track was Night Rider by Yusuf Days. Yusuf, you or Y-U. S-E-F, Yusuf Days, D-A-Y-E-S. And then uh, the second track, which I love, Charged Up, Mr. C.R. Monstro. Great record produced by my homeboy, James Broadway, out of Pasadena. Then the last track that you just heard was Pink Flower. Always a vibe. I'm always playing that at the crib. But we're talking about when your authentic self shows up, when the humanity in you shows up in the relationship and most people can't deal with it, uh, effectively they're dating half of you. More than likely they are in, uh, I would say they are in an imbalanced self-relationship with half of themselves, which makes dating the whole you impossible because they haven't accepted the whole self. And before I went to break, we were talking about... uh, how your humanity uh, can, you know, really scare your partner, frighten them, you know, uh, set them off. Flaws and mistakes. Nobody is perfect and our flaws and mistakes are inherent, are an inherent part of our being. However, if our significant other has high expectations or a fear of failure, our imperfections may trigger 
their anxieties or fear. They might worry about the consequences of our mistakes or fear that our flaws will negatively impact uh, uh, the relationship. Then you have unpredictability. Say one thing, do another. Promise one thing, never deliver. Unpredictability. Human beings are complex and multifaceted, and our actions and behaviors can sometimes be unpredictable. If our significant other craves stability or struggles with uncertainty, our humanity and the potential for unexpected actions or decisions can be unsettling for them. Past experiences. I want you guys to know it is important to foster and open an honest level of communication with your significant other, creating a safe space where both partners can express their fears, concerns, and vulnerability. Uh, by understanding and emphasizing uh, with each other's... Wait, let me stop. Let me go back. It's important to foster open and honest communication with our significant other, creating a safe space, right? Let me just say this about the safe space. We need to understand that the safe space is not static. It's safe sometimes. Sometimes it's not. Right? We, we hope to have a perpetual safe space. But as works in progress, we vacillate. There are different times. We feel ready to have these conversations. And sometimes we're not ready. And when our worst self shows up for a conversation that is supposed to be in a safe space... You know, we can say and 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 do things uh, that we don't believe or that are, aren't necessarily in alignment with our intentions. So let's not get the safe space mixed up with, you know, uh, the back house. The safe space is not a structure in your backyard that y'all can go to. The safe space is like meditation. You get good at meditation by practicing it. You get good at forgiveness by practicing it. So it's going to take a little seasoning to get your safe space to the uh, to the way you actually want it to be. Let me get some callers in here real quick. Sean, Oakland, California, you're the first up. Talk to me. Brother, wow. You just been hitting hard on some very deep stuff for a long time here. <laughs> and I, I know you're passionate uh, or your passion on, on relationships and wanting them to succeed. And... I'll tell you what, I mean, earlier it was like narcissism, right? Let me tell everyone, if you want to be able to never fall for that, uh, and I'll give you that tip, and you can take this one to the bank. Normally, I don't say absolutes. You can take this to the bank. If you have a narcissist, here's how you tell. They are moochers and grifters. The only thing they want is something from you, and they only want something from you, and then they will double down when you are like, hey, how are we doing this together? And they're like, mm, okay, well, as long as you keep doing that for me, it's all good. They are moochers and grifters. That's what a narcissist will end up doing in, in a relationship. That I can attest to because I understand that. But, you know, this is the thing that we all got to be watching out for. Because in real life, you know, look, it's just, it, this is real. You can fact check me. Judges who do um, sentencing in cases of 
all kinds of cases, right? If their team on Sunday, the football team or baseball or basketball, it's mostly football, let me just stick with that, loses, right? The sentencing on Monday, if you happen to have the bad luck to have your sentencing happen on Monday, will be worse. So the, we are creatures of our own, you know, wounds. That's what I wanted to say, mm-hmm. uh, Brother Zoe. You, you hit this right on, right on the nose. We all have wounds, right? But we all can, you know, make people's lives better, or we can make lives, uh, other people's lives worse. And it's not that simple. We can make everything in between. We can kind of be neutral, right? We should be neutral a lot of the time and just observe. But sometimes people could be in a position of power, and they will use that. And that's why I'm saying when you are a narcissist, um, an actual narcissist, it, it, they are moochers and grifters. They want to just suck everything out of your being mm. to help them. They don't want to have a teamwork situation. They don't. They don't want to be in a, involved in a team where we all sacrifice a bit. We all play a role and there's a bunch of different roles no matter in, what we're going through right no matter yes. what we're going yes. through we all sacrifice a bit right oh. absolutely oh man absolutely i i mean and and, and i think that's it, you know i can only speak because i'm older and tonight let me tell you everybody and i and, and i am gonna toot my damn horn Ooh, okay. 31 years 31 years married to the same person Today. Oh, congratulations. Come on, Sean. Yeah. Congratulations, so, brother. You you know what that means? I've been through everything you guys are talking about. I, and I don't mean that as a badge of honor or anything. I'm just trying to tell you, it isn't all peaches and cream, people. Just because I made it this far with my better half, who's an amazing, she's just an amazing human being. And, and I'm there with her doing this thing. It doesn't mean we're better than anybody else. But blessings. Mean we got it all fixed. Blessings to well, you guys, though, for sure. Because thank you, you. you guys thank made you. it, man. You guys made it. But listen, Sean, we got to move forward. All I appreciate right. you, brother. Oakland, California is in the building because of Sean. Listen, if you want to bring your city in the building, all you got to do is call me at 1-800-920-1580 when I come forward. More callers. And I'm giving away a swag bag. What about intuition versus um, anxiety, and how can you tell the difference? So, so as we kind of talked about when I was explaining, you know, our continuum and and that impulses to reach for or move away are ways of managing what we perceive to be attachment threats in the nervous system and limbic brain, right? So what is intuition? So intuition, this is where it gets a little tricky because intuition is is intuited often through the body as well, right? And so this is where developing an emotional vocabulary is supremely important because what how do we develop an emotional vocabulary in the first place? 
Well, what happens is when you're young, very young, you, ex you have a sensation in your body. There's energy that is moving through your body, right? And when you're an infant or a toddler or what ha very young, what happens is you, you don't have the words for that. So what you experience is a charge of energy. There's a, there's a sensation, there's a charge of energy in your body, it's a drive, it's been expressed in such a way, and it makes your body leak tears. It makes a crampy sense, feeling in your stomach. It, whatever it is, there's a sensation, a charge that lights up your body. And what do you do? You, you cry, you yell, you grunt, you groan, right? And you, because you're trying to release that energy, you're expressing that energy, you're expressing that energy, and then someone around you interprets that expression as a need for something. So, so mom says, oh, you're, are, you're, you're upset? Are you hungry? Do you want this? And the body doesn't experience in relief in that, in that offering. So you keep crying. No, that's not it. Oh, do you want this? Do you want your binky? Do you want your toy? So you try to hand the toy. And the body doesn't feel relief in that either, so you just keep crying, right? And then you say, oh, you want your blanket? Do you want your blanket? And you pick the baby up and you wrap the baby in the blanket. And all of a sudden, there's this sense of relief. The energy is discharged, right? That sensation shifts. Oh, that sensation means I want my binky and my blanket. I want to be held. I want to be compressed. And now I know, right? Okay, so what happens is, that's a very basic example, but what happens is over the course of development, tons of those little experiences get layered on top of each other and as you start to sift and sort and those things are co-regulated or mirrored back to you by a good enough parent or caretaker who can sense these things because they had a good enough parent or person who taught them how to do it, right? That now what happens is you are layering these experiences on top of each other and you are now understanding the subtleties of when you experience a charge of sensation in your body. Now what happens is most people say, I feel anxious. And anxious becomes this blanket term for a myriad of more subtle emotions that are going on beneath the surface. But because you don't have the language or you haven't had the mirroring experience to teach you that you can be happy and sad at the same time, that excitement could also be anxiety, that, um, you know, well, I'm excited, but I'm also a little nervous. I'm anticipatory, but I'm also a little doubtful. I want to do it, but I'm afraid I'll fail, right? All those things, all those more subtle emotions get layered on top of each other. And for someone... Man, <laughs> The voice of reason is on fire tonight. Did y'all hear which emotional vocabulary? The caregiver that raised you tends to kind of help you cultivate an emotional vocabulary by interpreting how you feel and then creating methods to satiate whatever feeling that is, whether it be hunger, whether it be your binky or your little blanket, whatever that is, right? Most of us came from a wounded caregiver. So, so we go into adult relationships with a wounded emotional vocabulary. Oh, Lord. You, you didn't live up to what I thought you would be. I'm not supposed to be that. <laughs> this is tough, y'all. This is tough. 
That's why I say when the authentic person shows up, the flawed person that shows up in your life that is speaking, listen, to the undefined pain that you were raised in, that you modeled. What do you mean speaking to an undefined pain? You got a limited emotional vocabulary. So when you get challenged, it's a threat. Just like you're out in the wilderness somewhere. Oh, there's, there's somebody's trying to devour me. No. Somebody is mirroring this experience back to you so you can cultivate a word for it. Wow. Now imagine reading Marshall, uh, I think it's uh, Goldberg's book, Nonviolent Communication. Imagine nonviolently communicating with an undefined wound that you modeled from your childhood. Imagine speaking in a nonviolent term to a wound that doesn't have a name. Well, I, I could tell you what. That's one less expectation of your partner. Ugh, I, I don't I don't want to keep going. Uh, listen, I got a swag bag to give away. Can I give a swag bag away right now? Listen, if you're the second caller right now, right now, right now, 1-800-920-1580, 1-800-920-1580. If you're the second caller right now, you could win or you will win a KBLA Talk 1580 swag bag. It's our gift to you as we celebrate our second anniversary here at KBLA Talk 1580. Congratulations to caller number two right now from your friends at kbla talk 1580 who do we have over there man we got people that want to talk let's get nazarene x from atlanta georgia and then of course the creator of the topic nazarene x get in here yo 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 what up though hey <laughs> real quick what's happening um, man what we doing tonight are we we doing it right Always, man. You just a voice of reason. <laughs> Always. Not Always. to everybody. <laughs> man, look, well, well, at least it's authentic. That's right. You see I mean? That's what it is. And um, so even with that, right, I feel, I will, let me ask you, have you heard that, I don't know if it's necessarily a parable, but it's like a little kind of a short story or a, a take on the dynamic between an eagle and the raven? I don't know how many they are, but you heard about the eagle and the raven. Yeah, uh, maybe. You're talking about the ones who could fly the highest and then the... No, go ahead. I don't know. Go ahead. I, I don't know. I, I, I done yeah, made up a it whole... Like that. It, it does go <laughs> like that. Okay, I thought I was making up something. Yeah. Go ahead, finish. Yeah, so I think that's a, a, big, a big point in terms of you just embracing your authentic self. So um, the story pretty much in short goes, like in terms of how evil is, a raven, by by its nature, tends to just get on top of the eagle's back and peck away at it, like in the back of its neck and such. But the beautiful thing about an eagle is it doesn't necessarily have to fight it. All it has to do is continue to fly higher. Mm. So when the eagle just simply continuing to soar and do what it does, the raven cannot actually breathe 
at even those higher altitudes that are the natural dwelling place of the eagle. So the pecking stops. The raven at these higher altitudes ends up suffocating, at least temporarily, and begins to fall and drop off by nature. So I bring that up and I say that when you're really just being your authentic self and taking things, say, higher, I think a lot of the problems that might be pestering us, naturally by design, they will continue to fall away as long as we continue to do what we're built to do mm. in that breath. Mm. So that's why I think. When you lead with authenticity, period, you're giving yourself a chance to build with someone from a foundation of truth, regardless if they accept it or not. As long as you continue to do that, I think you're already, you know, you're setting yourself up for success. And by nature, you know, then maybe you'll find your your counterpart that can, you know, vibe with you on that level that won't necessarily feel choked out or try to suppress you, try to keep you on the ground, or anything like that. You know, just kind of in a metaphoric way, but then just shout out to nature where you can see certain dynamics. If it doesn't fit, you know, just be who you are. If you're a raven, then stay on the ground. If you're an eagle, keep flying high. Love it, brother. Love it. Appreciate the insight. Appreciate the words of wisdom. Uh, Man, Nazarene X from Atlanta, Georgia. When we come forward, you already know the sister who created the topic, the curator of the topic, Atala Phillips from Houston, Texas. She's got a lot to talk about. The reasons that we're here, the reasons that we fear, our feelings won't disappear. Disappear. You're listening to the Voice of Reason with Zoe Williams on KBLA Talk 15. This is a revolutionary radio show. You know why? Because we're dedicated to raising the quality of the dis- of the discussion. Right? We're dedicated to elevating the discussion. Right? And tonight is no exception to the rule. I mean, when your authentic self makes your partner paranoid and insecure. Right? Ah, man. How about the truth of who you are, right, could mirror something into their spirit that makes them better, right? It mirrors something in their spirit that triggers something in them that says, I don't have to be this way. Now, you want them to trust your process, but can you trust theirs? I, I, I don't know. I, you know, I, I, I have a lot of high level ideas and I and I recognize that this is fantasy world. This is no different than Disney. Right. People be like, oh, no, that's deep. Yeah, brother, that's heavy. Yeah. But when it's time for the rubber to meet the road. People don't want to do that. Right. People don't want to do that. I was talking to Arabia before the show and I was explaining to her that time does not heal wounds. Everybody think time heals wounds. Time does not heal a wound. It is the work you do in the time you take that heals wounds. Now, what is true is that 
the time it takes for me to heal a wound in me may be different than the amount of time you may need. But it isn't the time that's doing the healing. It is the work that is doing the healing. Because if you don't do the work to heal your own wounds, you know what's going to happen? You're going to get into a relationship bringing work that you should have completed on your own. And now the relationship's holographic and highly reflective nature will reflect all of the stuff you didn't do before you got there back to you in the guise or in the stream of conflict. That's how that's going to happen. That's how that's going to happen. And it happens to me all the time. I'm not here to, you know, to speak like I'm somehow, you know, above the conflict. I'm in it all the time. Let me shout out. Our swag bag winner, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, the swag bag winner, the KBLA swag bag winner. Congratulations to you, sister, Adrian Diggs, Adrian Diggs. Yes, yes, yes. We appreciate you for calling in. We appreciate you for getting through and we appreciate you for rocking your KBLA swag bag. Okay, let's get these callers in here. Atala from Houston, Texas. She is the creator of this topic. Atala, why did you create the topic? Why did you need answers to this? Why did you send me five to seven questions? Why? <laughs> Atala, you here? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so why did I create the topic? Um, well, you know, I was snooping around on Dr. Romney's channel, and um, she was talking about kind of, you know, kind of the resistance you might acquire or um, run into when you are interacting with someone who is maybe more, you know, higher on the narcissistic scale, right? Um, and so she was talking about essentially how, you know, you may be an upbeat person or just happy to be there, whatever the case may be. And, you know, this person is kind of disturbed by that. And for me, it just really brought up some childhood wounds, right? Mm -hmm. Um one way that this might look or might appear is if a person is like trying to purposely trigger you so that you um, basically like kind of come out of yourself. Right. Uh, you know, that might look like crying or whatever the case, like in my case, you know, my mom would be like, well, I know when you're telling the truth because you're crying. And I'm just like, how does that, <laughs> mm -hmm. how does that even work? But um, when I think deeper on the topic, right. And understanding how that's kind of played out, not only in my romantic relationships, but my friendships, I constantly, like, attracted people that would try and trigger me, like, on purpose. And I just could not figure out, like, why would I, why would I want that to be attracted to me? Like, why would I want that? And Reggie in the chat brought up a really good point, like, kind of the idea of, you know, if you're attracting someone who is kind of repulsed or offended by your authenticity, does that mean that you have not accepted yourself? And I would say yes, like, to some degree. I think we can accept ourselves in certain stages. But whatever stage you have not accepted yourself in, it'll be mirrored through your partner. And I think that looks like the form of resistance or triggering. Mm. Mm. Child, child, we appreciate you, girl. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> you could create a topic for us any night. If you're going to do it like this, 
You could create any topic you would like to create. I appreciate you so much for your contributions. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You brought Houston, Texas in the building. If you want to bring your city in the building, all you got to do is call me at 1-800-920-1580. My brother Reggie, Texas is in the building heavy. Austin, Texas in the building. Reggie, what are your thoughts? Man, um, I totally just asked my question. So hopefully I can get an answer from you. Um, I don't doubt what you say. I just want to get a better understanding of it. Mm-hmm. You said a long while ago that we attract who we are. Mm-hmm. And I get that. That makes sense to me. But tonight you said that there were, what is it, I'm losing faith that um, that people will see you um, and, and, and accept the real you. We talk- I don't see how both those how both those actions can be the same. Like what's you know what I'm saying? You no, know, no, I, I get what you're saying. And and what I'm okay. talking about is people tend to, to accept pieces of the person, their significant other. They don't accept the whole significant other. The human part attract- of listen, listen very carefully. I'm yes. sorry, go ahead. Yes, that ain't got nothing to do with your acceptance. You're gonna attract what you are regardless. It let me give you an example. Uh, I was talking to somebody about this earlier today. When you're in pursuit of pleasure, right, you're actually in pursuit of pain. That's not your intent, but pain and pleasure come together. People don't understand that, right? We, we, are, we, we are pursuing a thing, but we don't understand that the thing is connected to something else. Typically, it's polar opposite, especially as it pertains to relationships. If you haven't accepted yourself fully, the full you, the whole you, the human part of you. The human part of you is the one that is prone to error. If you haven't accepted that part of you and you get into a relationship, you're only going to accept the good that that significant other can potentially bring to you. What is the good? They have to be in alignment with what? Your expectations. What did Dr. Alan Berger say about expectations he said they are the seeds for disappointment disappointment mm-hmm. right why yeah. and disappointment is pain but you chose them because they felt good you chose them because they and you unconsciously chose them as well let's not forget there's a conscious choosing hey they're smart hey they're attractive hey they're doing okay in society they got a job they got a nice car they got their own place there's a conscious or a visible lighthouse choosing and then there is an unconscious invisible dark lighthouse choosing but the choosing is always whole but your attention is not Your attention is usually on what you want, not on what you need to work on. That's coming from the unconscious selection. You understand what I'm saying? I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Let me let me ask you this. Um, Okay, if so, if you ask for for a thing, should you be prepared to get the exact opposite of what you've asked for? You should be. See, people say I want to listen. I, I want a new house. Okay, God give you the new house. But what about upkeep? When you own your property and you realize that everything that go wrong in that place is your response. See, you was thinking about the barbecue. You was thinking about the white pig fence. You know, we're going to have a barbecue on the 4th of July. Everybody going to come over. We're going to eat. You're not thinking about people breaking stuff. 
And it like like Richard Pryor said, everything in the house costs over five hundred dollars to fix. Everything. Mm. <laughs> so you don't think about I like to call it thinking in stereo. Most people think in mono, what I want, what I need in order to be happy. That most people think monolithically. They don't think in a stereo kind of perspective where if I ask for the house, can I afford the the insurance every year? Can I afford the tax on the property every year? Do you understand? They just think mm -hmm. about, you know, when I put the big screen TV right here, we're going to be able to watch all the games, you see. And then I'm going to have my uncle and them come over. You know, my uncle's a pit master. He's going to come over and barbecue. We think about the superficial but when we start thinking about the substantial things, I'm asking to be loved. Well, if you're asking to be loved by someone, then are you not in the inverse asking yourself to love you as mm. you are? Mm -hmm. Oh, stick with me, Reggie. When we come forward, I'm going back to Austin, Texas. He's on fire tonight. It's the voice of reason with Zoe Williams exclusively on KBLA Talk 1580. Understanding the diagnostic process for a personality disorder is difficult, but Dr. Romani makes it simple. In this episode, she explains how the path to a diagnosis should and should not look and walks through the seven criteria used to diagnose avoidant personality disorder. All right, Dr. Romani, what goes into diagnosing somebody with avoidant personality disorder? You know, Kyle, as with all personality disorders, it's not just sort of like a, a quick and easy kind of a process. Many times when, we're when we come to the diagnosis of a personality disorder, it can require multiple interactions with a client to hear about how they're doing in various areas of their life, with their friendships, in their family, with a partner, at work or at school because personality disorders tend to be pervasive. So if this is just somebody who doesn't want to do a sales talk, but they're doing well in those other areas, it takes time to get all that information. So at the core of it, in order to figure this out, we need a, a series of clinical interviews or at least to start treatment with someone. If a person with avoidant personality disorder came into treatment, they may very, very well come into treatment because they feel lonely and they feel frustrated and not being able to connect to other people, that might be what brings them in. So when they're brought in with that kind of a presenting issue, we're going to think about a lot of things. Is this person socially anxious? Um, is this person depressed? Uh, you know, what's going on here? And then we'll dig deeper. And once we see the pervasiveness of it, it might take us even a few weeks, maybe even a few months to land on this summit squarely. We'll also look at, for example, how do they perceive how other people view them? Is this more about being anxious or is this really about feeling inadequate and that people will reject them? People who are socially anxious are just more reacting to the physiological reactions they're having at that time. And yeah, they do worry about, you know, screwing up, if you will. But for the person who is experiencing avoidant personality disorder, it really is. It's, it's the fear of rejection, the fear of criticism, the hypersensitivity. The themes are a little bit different. So it's a really nuanced kind of a path. And I have to tell you, I've worked with clients for maybe the first six weeks. I thought he's socially anxious and about week eight or nine, I'm like, no, this might actually be more pervasive than that. And it'll show me how, how much more severe and consistent it is. And then I might do a little bit more work once I realize it's avoidant personality on sort of unscrambling those fears and focusing on it more as a pervasive pattern than as an anxiety disorder. I would imagine that most people come in 
for depression? It's, depression is probably one of the, the primary leading causes of why people ever get into mental health treatment. Mm -hmm. But I have to tell you, there's also a lot of stuff of life that get people in relationship problems, dating problems, but a lot of it's relationship problems. And that's a lot of what brings people over the threshold of my office. Problems in a marriage, problems with a parent, problems with an adult child, something like that and that we can break it down from there. So sometimes people will even come in with an entirely different kind of an issue, and then it'll, we'll end up coming in a back door on this one. So it really takes a lot of interviewing, time. Sometimes people do psychological testing or assessment, and they'll give them a series of tests, and those tests will give insight into these patterns, and that's almost like a faster way to that end goal. But you, no matter what, you still need to spend time with a client. Man, if Dr. Romani hasn't been cooking with the rarest avocado oil all night, I don't know what to say. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to The Voice of Reason on KBLA Talk 1580. I'm your host, Zoe Williams. We're on complete flyer. I have my brother Reggie from Austin, Texas in the building. Reggie, get in here. Man, um, two things. I would pay to hear the conversations you have during your break. Um, those are the conversations that I will pay for, real talk. Ooh, we be in here wilding during the break. Man, you don't want to hear absolutely, that. yeah, y'all do, man. <laughs> Second thing is, if if you ask for one thing and you get the exact opposite of what you've asked for, or it appears like you've gotten the exact opposite of what you asked for, how do you not let the feeling that you get by getting the opposite um, allow you not to just destroy the whole thing? How do you know how to stay in there? versus when to go. You know what's interesting? I gave my girl a poem by Khalil Gibran. And I gave her the poem because I wanted her to see the duality of love. It's a very powerful poem. Right. And it mm -hmm. talks about the beauty of love, but it also talks about the pain in love. Most people, when you talk about getting the opposite of what you want, most people go into that damn relationship. Asking for partials, man. Asking for partials. In other words, I just want space. Or I just want time. Or I just want to be able to deal. Or I just want some love. Or I just want some attention. Or I just want to be understood. They're asking for partials. They don't understand that it's bi-directional. If I'm pouring understanding and love and peace and patience into you, you are not to take it and run off in the corner and nibble on it like a little hamster. You're supposed to share a piece. If it energizes you, you give it back. Organic, natural reciprocity. Do you understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. See, I do. Many people are looking for a partial thing to, to, to fit into a particular crack that they have in their armor. Right? They haven't accepted mm -hmm. themselves completely. They're not accepting you completely. They're accepting what you can do. In the interim, if you could just do this, if you would have just did this. Yes, I, OK, I do that. And then what? 
How does this create an organic cycle between the two of us? Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm getting it. I'm getting it. I'm, I, I want you to, to address that question, though. I mean, it, I if, did. You, if you think the cycle is there, my, my bad, if you think the cycle is there, but the feeling is like, man, that cycle is, is, is not there totally. It's there sometimes, but it's not there all the time. Then you check into self. If you okay. feel that it's not there, why isn't it there for you? Hmm. And mm-hmm. what is that connected to? Right? Why why why, mm-hmm. why isn't it there for you? Right? You go through the process of why isn't it there for you? And if you say, hey, all my boxes check. All the boxes that I'm conscious of, it checks. So then right. what do you do? You go back to your partner and you start asking questions. But sometimes if you ask questions, those questions are now viewed as a threat to your partner. Because they might be doing the very well or the very best that they could do. So you start asking, now it's an attack. But that, that conflict is a manifestation of some kind of misalignment. And wherever there is a lack of wholeness, you will see that the relationship is misaligned. And typically that, and typically that lack of wholeness is an internal thing that's going on. Make sense? Mm-hmm. Yes, it does. Appreciate All right, you, man. Brother. Always, man. Always. Then said Almitra, speak to us of love. And he raised his head and he looked upon the people and there fell a stillness upon them. And with a great voice, he said, when love beckons to you, follow him, though his ways are hard and steep. And when his wings enfold you, yield to him, though the sword hidden among his pinions may wound you. And when he speaks to you, believe in him, though his voice may shatter your dreams as the north wind lays waste to the garden. Do you understand? You don't know love. Love hurts your ass. I'm sorry. Oh, let's start over. Let me start over with a new person. Let me get my life together and start over with somebody else. You're going to pick right back up where you left off. You want to be understood, but you're not understanding. When we come forward, the voice of reason going to keep cooking you. Is it good to you? you? More voice of reason with Zoe Williams when we come forward. I just want you to let that beat just wash over you. Just let let it flow into your spirit a little bit. The voice of reason doesn't want to upset you. I just want you to to think about some of the things that maybe you don't think about very often. This track is called First Responders. The album is called Dinner Party. And the artist, Terrence Martin, Robert Glasper. It's a great track. Yes. It's a vibe, y'all. It's a vibe. But let me tell you something about a partner's ability or inability to be authentic with themselves. It can have a significant impact on your relationship. Right? Here's one. Trust and intimacy. Now, I was having a conversation with Big Pee Wee yesterday at the Cigar Lounge. 
And I was telling him that trust is rooted, for most people, trust is rooted in fear. So is loyalty. This is why a lot of times monogamy takes on this ownership kind of energy. Right? I trust that you won't hurt me. Don't hurt me. There's always this resistance and don't hurt me. But sometimes hurt is the conduit to enlightenment. Pain is where the light enters. The wound is where the light enters. That's right, Atala. Rejection as protection. So when you are unable to be your authentic self, you will cultivate many dynamics in your relationships, trust as, such as trust and intimacy issues. Authenticity is closely linked to trust in a relationship. When a partner is authentic with themselves, they are more likely to be open, honest, and transparent with their thoughts, feelings, and desires. Please be careful when hearing that. That doesn't mean I'm going to tell you every single detail. That doesn't mean anybody's going to tell you every single detail. But if they own up to a situation that became problematic for your relationship and they share as much as they can, oftentimes... You find that people aren't happy until they get every nook and cranny of what went down. But like I said, that would be good if you are working to use that information to heal the relationship. If you're just using that information to build up your confidence to leave the relationship, then that's not fair either. And many people do that. I just wanted to get a confirmation. We get that oftentimes, right? Then there's communication. Authenticity plays a crucial role in effective communication. When partners are authentic with themselves, they are more likely to express their true thoughts and emotions, which promotes open and honest conversation. This allows for a better understanding, conflict management and problem solving. Right. A lot of people don't want to do that. They don't want to solve problems. They want to have a grudge to hold so they can feel entitled. So they can dangle it over your head and say, remember you did this and I'm still not done with this and I'm still feeling this and this is still that. And it's like, OK. But at some point, that feeling has to leave your spirit if we are to be together. If we are to be together, that spirit got that feeling, those feelings got to leave at some point. Right. Now, which would you rather have, the way you feel or the person that makes you feel great, except for their humanity? Ooh, ooh. <laughs> then, of course, emotional support. Authenticity enables partners to provide genuine emotional support to each other. When a partner is authentic with themselves, they are more likely to express their needs, vulnerabilities, and insecurities. This allows the other partner to understand and provide the necessary support. But you have to understand the way this is written. Provide the necessary support. Your partner, even the sun will run out of gas and die one day. <laughs> People say, oh, provide the necessary support. and But it isn't indefinite. Oftentimes we get in a comfort zone where we think our partner has to continue, continuously give and give and give and give and give. And you don't give nothing back. But hold on. Hold on. I still need time. 
No, you done got used to the support. Sometimes you got to give back even when you're still in need of the support so you can create support reciprocity. Oh, I know people ain't ready for support reciprocity. Are y'all ready for support reciprocity? So emotional support is a bi-directional thing. And yes, one partner may be going through something else, but it's just like being a caretaker. Do you know caretakers need support too? They can't just caretake forever. They can't just keep going. Somebody's got to come get him a break. So if you don't have a contingency plan to support the supporter, ooh, ooh, you want to keep your relationship, you want to have a, a, an authentic experience with somebody, learn how to support the supporter. Ooh, I know that's heavy. I know people ain't. <laughs> Burnout is real, right? All right. Then there's relationship satisfaction. Authenticity contributes to overall satisfaction in relationships. When partners are authentic with themselves, they can be true to their values, beliefs, and desires leading to a sense of fulfillment and contentment. Conversely, if a partner is unable to be authentic, they may feel unfulfilled, disconnected, or even resentful with the relationship, which can negatively impact the overall satisfaction. Growth and development. You got to understand, all of this is about growth and development. Life is going to keep hitting you upside your head so you can grow up spiritually. There's not going to be a corner you can turn around that life ain't ready with a left hook ready to sock you in your temple. Life is about getting hit, getting knocked down, getting up better. Growth and development. Authenticity allows partners to grow individually and as a couple. When a partner is authentic with themselves, they can explore their own needs, aspirations and personal growth which can positively influence the relationship. Conversely, if a partner is unable to be authentic, they may suppress their selves, hindering personal growth and potentially stifling the growth of the relationship. In summary, a partner's ability to be authentic with themselves is crucial for building trust, fostering effective communication, providing emotional support, enhancing relationship satisfaction, and promoting personal growth within a relationship. I, I, listen, I started the conversation. It's your job to finish it. I'm not right about any of the stuff I said tonight. Challenge it all. Throw it out the window. But we got to have these conversations. I appreciate you guys for tuning in.